Before we start, we want to say a quick thank you to Wharton Fintech's Platinum Sponsor, the Stevens Center for Innovation in Finance. The Stevens Center is a premier research, education, and thought leadership institution in the world for financial technology. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armaza. Our guest today is Samir Chaibi, investor at Insignia Ventures Partners, a Southeast Asian growth and venture investing fund with over $300 million in assets under management, where he specifically focuses on backing fintech startups. Prior to Insignia, Samir spent many years working around the world, and it's also worth noting he's an MBA graduate from our very own Wharton School. We discussed Samir's background and his path to venture capital, company history for Insignia Ventures partners, their investment thesis, and a bit about the portfolio companies, the evolution and current state of the fintech ecosystem in Southeast Asia, the surprising parallels between fintech in Latin America and Southeast Asia, his outlook of the regional future of the industry, and a whole lot more. And now join me in a great conversation with Samir Chaibi. Samir, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. Welcome home as we have an alum joining us all the way from Singapore. So maybe we can get started by hearing a bit about your background and how you got to this point. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, great to be back home. Sure. So my background before Wharton, which I graduated from in 2016, I've been on the buy side actually pretty much all my career, but I started in private equity, I would say. So after a short gig in investment banking in Europe, where I'm from, France to be precise, I moved to the Middle East, worked for a sovereign wealth fund in Qatar called the Qatar Investment Authority, spent about three and a half years with them uh, doing first corporate advisory for uh, some of their largest publicly listed portfolio companies, and then moved to do a strategic investment for them, which is, I guess, just a fancy word for private equity. And uh, after that, yeah, so went to Wharton, spent three years there between Boston and Philadelphia. And after graduation, decided to go back to the buy side, but this time do very, very early stage deals. In the meantime, I had um, a couple of uh, entrepreneurial ventures. Both of them went relatively well. I exited one and the other one that I joined as a first employee in my days in Philly is still doing okay. So that gave me the comfort that I wanted for the rest of my career to be closer to startups rather than really large corporates. And so I moved to a VC uh, right after graduation joined a uh, seed stage fund based in Singapore called Strive. So Strive is a Tokyo headquartered fund that only invests in uh, seed deals, of course, in Japan, but also in Southeast Asia and in India. So I joined them in June 2017, covered Southeast Asia for them. I was a generalist at that time, so I covered everything from fintech, of course, but e-commerce, logistics, SaaS, you name it. And then after two years with them, joined a larger vehicle called Insignia Ventures, where I am right now. Right now, I'm, I'm mostly covering fintech. Not only this, but uh, I'm, I'm going back to my roots as an investment banker and as a, somebody who spent most of his uh, career in, on the finance side. Sounds like you're the perfect candidate for this podcast. I hope so. <laughs> Great. I also like that you uh, didn't mention the name of the second institution in Boston from where you had your second. Yes, year. yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I'm>, uh, <laughs> that, that other one. 
Yeah, yeah, I like that. Great. So let's hear a bit more about Insignia and maybe you can tell us why. I mean, it's a big landscape, right? Why the decision to invest specifically in fintech? Sure. I'll start with Insignia, I guess. So Insignia Venture was started about three years ago. Our founding managing partner came out of Sequoia Capital, Southeast Asia, where he was, if I say this correctly, please don't quote me on this, he was the first employee there. So he set up the operations for Sequoia Capital in the region. I spent about four years with them and then decided to start Insignia Venture on its own. So we started with a maiden fund of $120 million that did C to Series A investments. We invested in about 50 startups, slightly more than that. So very, very active over three years. We wanted to make a name of ourselves and sort of be a force to be reckoned with, I guess, in the region, which I believe we achieved. So those investments were made specifically in three core geographies, which are Indonesia, Vietnam, and Singapore. And late last year, and this is when I joined the fund, we raised another vehicle. It's a $200 million vehicle. We're still sector agnostic, but we invest in slightly larger deals. So right now, I think we are very much a Series A investor. So we, uh, just for context, for when I say Series A in South Asia, it means deals that go anywhere between three to five million. So it's still, I guess, an order of magnitude lower than what you see in the Silicon Valley. But I guess we are slowly growing up to be a larger hub. So yeah, so that's about Insignia. Right now, we have about 60 portfolio companies. One of them you interviewed recently, Tonic. At Insignia, I do, as I said, mostly fintech. And so we have close to 20 startups that are doing fintech in our portfolio. And they do payments, they do lending, they do insurance, they do wealth management, stock brokerage, really a large breadth of um, business models and problems and pain points that they try to solve. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, the Southeast Asian market is, sounds like the entrepreneurial scene is strong, but it's just getting started, at least for fintech, right? I mean, a lot of it is starting to take off if you compare it to other regions in particular. Maybe you can take us through the evolution of fintech in the region. Sure, sure, absolutely. So I think if you want to just take a step back and look at how tech developed in Southeast Asia, I would say it's very similar to other regions in the world, whether it's Africa or Latin America or closer to us here, China and India. It really started a big e-commerce boom. And that was back in, I would say, 29, 2010. Sharing economy, ride-hailing followed through very shortly after this. So the first big platform like Grab and Gojek were started within that period in 2011, 2012. And so really fintech came in as a support function, if you will, for those e-commerce and ride-hailing platform. Essentially, it was to solve uh, the issue of payment, right? How do I pay for the thing that I buy? How do I pay for the thing that I consume, right? Of course, when the region started, a lot of it was cash on delivery for e-commerce. So we wanted to find uh, slightly less costly options to solve that conundrum, I would say. So we started with, of course, a lot of um, payment solutions being developed. A lot of e-wallets were either developed standalone or attached to those e-commerce mining platforms. So right now, if you do a quick landscape of the region, uh, you have GoPay from Gojek. You have, of course, GrabPay from Grab. You have Momo in Vietnam, etc. So you have really large e-wallets that have spent a lot of money attracting uh, millions of users onto their platform. So it started with this. And then I think very quickly, the model of fintech evolved into solving one of the major issues for developing market consumers, sorry, which is credit gap. 
So we see a lot of lending institutions, peer-to-peer, -peer, uh, coming out of that sort of like second wave that came in in 2014, 2015. We saw a massive uh, amount of capital coming in from China, also like finance those vehicles. There was a similar lending boom happening a few years before that in China. So uh, a lot of platforms were developed on the back of that. The largest platform now in this particular sector are dispersing or originating dozens of millions of dollars a month. So really the model is at scale. And this is across all of the countries here. And I think right now we are trying to do the same credit gap with new models. So uh, things that we've seen in other parts of the world, like, I don't know, earn wage access, buy now, pay later model, like Klarna and, uh, and Afterpay. And, uh, after uh, developing those solutions that solve the credit gap, we moved into uh, trying to develop a solution that solves saving issues, right? So wealth management platform, personal financial platform, financial literacy platforms came about. And I think recently, to conclude this, we see people trying to develop an infrastructure to make the development of those consumer-facing platforms easier later on. That's a long answer, but that's 10 years in, in two minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's actually very interesting. And has the investing side of the ecosystem matched the growth of the startups? Do you think there are enough insignias, enough VCs out there? Yeah, that's a good question. I think we're still an ecosystem that is infancy to see a lot of tech-focused shops opening up. We see a couple actually opening up at the seed stage that we work with, but we are yet to see dedicated fintech funds that are investing across different stages of capital. But I, I would assume that for verticals like fintech, for verticals like healthcare, this is just a matter of time. Now, you mentioned something interesting, and it's the fact that Southeast Asia is very similar to many regions, right? Take a region like Latin America. Do you keep in touch? Do you have a relationship with funds in the region or with startups in the region so you can learn from their progression? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, again, the rest of the world for us serves as a way to make sure that we are evolving and understanding the playbook that is in front of us in the best way possible. So yeah, when I look at Latin America, I see just as an example, I'll take lending. I see folks that are much more sophisticated in their approach. Why? Because just sharing with uh, some of our Washington alum, like uh, somebody, I think, I believe you interviewed Nelson Ortiz, who's at uh, Sinobe in Colombia, if I'm not mistaken. Of course. Nelson is also a good friend, actually. He's also a good <laughs> friend. Um, so when I speak to Nelson, who's building that SME lending business there, what he tells me is that South American lending companies had no choice but become very, very sophisticated from day one because they had to look for capital from the U.S., so the, the folks that they had to talk to and the structure that they put in place, so like put them straight away into the 21st century kind of lending infrastructure. And for us, it's, it's a playbook that we want to follow. I think what, there is a strange phenomenon that happened in, in South Asia whereby uh, lending institutions or digital lending institutions looked for traditional banks to get their first credit lines instead of going for the more socialized folks. Why? Because it's cheaper, easier to access, and there was a big push from governments on the banks to lend to those new digital institutions. Why? Because they wanted to solve the financial inclusion problems, and they felt like those digital players had better distribution channels to solve that problem. And so now that those digital players are at scale, they need to look for more sophisticated players. They need to talk with folks that are in the US, that are in Hong Kong, and that's where the sophistication gap happens, right? 
So yeah, like talking to folks even in Africa, talking to folks in Latin America is, is really good for me as an investor. That makes sense. And how has the, I guess, have there been exits in the market? How dynamic has the market been in, in, when it comes to uh, liquidity events? Because that is big, right? If you're an investor, eventually you do want to see that return materialize. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is what this, this is what we live by, of course. At the end of the day, we're an asset manager, so we need to return back our capital. Again, the ecosystem is about 10 years old. I guess the first large fintech that came about were started maybe five, six years ago. So I would assume that we're going to start seeing massive exits in the next two or four years. I'd hope so. There are a couple of exits in terms of payment platform, POS platforms that happened across the region. There are a couple of exits that happen within the sort of like blockchain, Bitcoin uh, sector at the early stage. And there is also a couple of exits that happened because some of the platforms that I mentioned earlier, like Grab and Gojek, wanted to consolidate their fintech stack. So that instead of building it, they bought startups. For instance, they bought startups that do investing, wealth management. Recently, Grab and Gojek, both a startup, one in Singapore, one in Indonesia, to add on to their stack and allow their users to do a, so like micro-investing, uh, very similar to Stash in the US, for instance. So that happened, and I would foresee that those big players would buy more startups in specific part of the financial stack, financial consumer stack, that they don't want to build by themselves. But we are yet to see, I think, really large fintech exit from this region. Very interesting. And so let's talk a little bit about your portfolio, Insignia portfolio. Maybe you can tell us about some of the companies or maybe some of the commonalities that you look for in companies that you invest in. Sure. I guess, as I said, I think our portfolio is fairly diversified across fintech. We have a bunch of lending companies. A lot of them are actually doing SME lending as opposed to consumer lending. We stayed away from consumer lending, being afraid that it was very, very difficult to underwrite consumer in this part of the world. And I think we were right in hindsight after COVID-19. A lot of folks that had consumer exposure saw their NPL blew up recently. And I think our SME lending portfolio companies have done fairly well. So a lot, of, a lot of exposure to SME lenders across Philippines, Indonesia, Singapore, and also Vietnam. We also have folks that are trying to solve that payment infrastructure problem that I've mentioned. We have a company in Indonesia called Flip that is trying to be the ACH provider to Indonesia. We have a couple of insurance companies as well. One is called LifePal, one is called Simbo. And they are trying to be a policy bazaar in India, but for Southeast Asia, which is essentially an online to offline model for insurance. We have a really large company in the payment space called Pechaz. Uh, they are based in Indonesia. What they are trying to solve is, again, the theme of financial inclusion and financial access to payments in that country. They have a really massive network of about 180,000 agents across the country that facilitate bill payment and peer-to-peer -peer transfer for users in uh, tier two and tier three cities. So yeah, that's a pretty wide portfolio. And again, of course, we have Tonic, our friend who you interviewed recently in the Philippines, who are trying to build the first digital new bank in the region. Yeah, fascinating company and big fan of Greg Krasna, the founder. And what is your investing approach in terms of, you know, do you take board seats? How involved are you with your portfolio companies on a, I guess, a weekly, monthly basis? We try to always look for 
sort of like when you're involved as much as the founder plus to be, let's put it like this, right? As a founder, as an ex-founder myself, this is probably the part that I love the most in the entire process, which is the part post-investment once you get to build the company. So yeah, we're trying to be hands-on as possible. And Insignia, frankly speaking, is trying to build itself as a platform. So not only doing investments, but providing talent growth, you know, investor relationship support and the likes of it to our portfolio companies over time. So we're trying to build that so like platform as a service company with that because I think the days of just providing capital are long gone in the US, but also definitely in, in Southeast Asia. So we are trying to adapt ourselves to that. But yeah, definitely very involved, trying to take a board seat. We generally lead our investments at the Series A. So that, that provides us with a good setting for us to help our companies. And it sounds like eventually you're building what will become an ecosystem, right? And, and your companies might be servicing each other, right? And eventually you can not just be an ecosystem, but have a portfolio of companies that are an ecosystem themselves. Is that something you're starting to see? Yes, definitely. I was uh, just thinking about a couple of companies. So our lending companies are servicing our commerce companies for their working capital needs. We see our payment companies servicing our insurance portfolio companies because insurance companies need to collect payment on a recurring basis. So that sort of portfolio synergy that uh, VCs generally like to advertise but don't necessarily see is uh, finally happening in our portfolio. But I think you need really definitely need to reach some sort of scale for, for this to happen. Now, Samir, going forward, are there any particular areas of fintech that you're most excited about? Yeah, I think we are still very excited to see new ways to solve that, that credit gap. It's still a big issue for both SMEs and consumers in this region. There are new models that are starting, that are starting in a way where they looked at that first wave of peer-to-peer lenders and they sort of took a step back and realized that it was just a digital version of traditional loan chart, right? So how do you solve that credit gap in a better way without putting massive amount of interest on users? And that is done right now through uh, earn wage access solutions. So you have the likes of Pay active, earn in, waste streaming in UK, and we have like similar platforms in this region. And we have buy now, pay later, which I mentioned earlier, which is Klarna, Afterpay, and you have again the same startups developing in this region. And um, that that is really taking a big, big, big growth. And also new models around insurance. Insurance penetration is still very, very low in this region. So we're very excited to see a portfolio company, LifePal, growing to be one of the major players there in Indonesia and trying to see which other players in the region would reach a similar scale. And then again, as I mentioned, financial infrastructure is a big thing for us. We're trying to see how can certain startups make the development of consumer-focused or SME-focused platform easier? So, one thing I didn't ask you about is about the role of Chinese startups in the region. I mean, I understand this is the next frontier uh, where a lot of uh, Chinese startups are, are looking to. How does that play a role in, in your day-to-day? Great question. So, I think... Chinese startup and specifically Chinese capital is ever so present in this region, right? Anywhere from the payment providers. So we, we have a really strong presence and financial in this region. They have acquired or partnered with a lot of different wallets in this region to develop their presence. 
We have, as I said, a lot of capital coming from China to fund peer-to-peer lenders, countries like Indonesia and the Philippines, also in Vietnam. And we also have Chinese folks like, again, and financials bidding for additional banking license, including in Singapore. So I think, yes, this is a natural region for growth for Chinese players. And I always have that thesis that hasn't happened yet, but I, I suppose that it will in a matter of years, is that we will start seeing startups at scale in China that have raised maybe a Series C or Series D round that knew that they would not be the number one players in their home country start moving into Southeast Asia because less barriers to entry, less competitions, pretty large capital mode, pretty large technological mode in which they can develop. Uh, We also see that a lot of Chinese players have had a hard time operationalizing their Chinese playbook and localizing their Chinese playbooks in this region. So they also need local talents to to do that. Great. Well, this is really a fascinating lesson on fintech in that part of the world. So, I mean, we we don't get a, a lot of investors from Southeast Asia or the region. So really very, very much appreciated. But before we let you go, you know, we always love to ask about our, the hobbies of our guests, right? And we'd love to hear how you spend some of that time outside of Insignia. <laughs> sure. I think with COVID-19, we had to be creative, my wife and I, actually. So uh, we got into indoor climbing recently. Um, it's a very physical activity, but at least you're kind of protected by doing this. And we got into uh, DJing as well. So we're taking DJing classes as a couple. And finally, I guess this is, I guess, more conventional to do in a family setting, but we're taking cooking classes, trying to uh, be as creative as possible when you're stuck in a, in a city state like Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, fantastic. Thank you again, Samir. Definitely come back to campus sometime soon. I guess your five years is coming up. I'm not sure if they're there will be one, but uh, whenever you can, the Fintech Club will be waiting for you. Pleasure being uh, with you today, uh, Miguel. Thank you so much for inviting me. And let's looking forward to, to see Philly and Martin again. Thank you, Samir. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. We also want to extend a special thank you to our show editor, Rafael Ostria. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. 